Hi, and welcome to the FDI podcast. I'm Sebastian, global markets reporter at the FT's FDI magazine. On today's show, we're discussing how tier two cities can better compete for international investment. To do this, I'm joined by Alexis Karachi, one of the founding directors of the Sheffield Property Association, a private sector body set up two years ago to help promote Sheffield around the world. I'm also joined by Peter Griffiths, city strategist at Ing Media, an international PR and communications agency for the built environment. Thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure. It's great to be here. Good to be here. So for those who don't know what tier two cities are, there's a multitude of definitions out there. We here at FDI Magazine, we define tier two cities as non-capital cities in any, in any given country and with a population above 150,000 people. I mean, cities need to be using every tool in their toolbox at this point because they're competing with, with cities across the world. We're no longer looking at country versus country in terms of attracting foreign investment. Now, I understand, Peter, that you've completed a report entitled Europe's Most Talked About Cities for, for Ing Media, which ranked locations by their online visibility versus their ranking in 24 global surveys. Really, inter- really interesting stuff. And secondary cities performed very well in, in this report, tier two cities, secondary cities. So what's the key takeaway in terms of how these kind of cities can better promote themselves online? So I, I think one of the main takeaways from this report is just that the way people are talking about your city and the extent to which they're talking about your city is strategic and can be strategic. Um, and that tier two cities, in wanting to elevate themselves, it's really important that they consider how people are talking about them. And so Helsinki might not be, um, as a capital city, it might not match exactly in terms of FDI's definition of what a tier two city is, but mm-hmm. it shares many characteristics. Right. Um, and so we worked with them during 2018 on a year-long strategic campaign around two big cultural um, sites that they were launching. And when we looked at their digital footprint over the year, we noticed these really very closely aligned spikes with these launches and with the, with the programming and how this worked to redefine the city's narrative mm-hmm. as a place where people are thinking about investing and thinking about visiting and in, in a very specific way. I think w- one of the main takeaways about this research is just that smaller cities really need to be strategic about how they're communicating themselves, but also how other people are talking about them. And, and in terms of telling their story, how how do you tell a story that's unique these days? Because everyone seems to want be wants to be a, a smart city or a tech city. How how do you how how do you stand out in terms of your narrative? I th- I think there are probably many approaches. Um, so to take another example, Lyon um, is one of the cities mm-hmm. that really punches above its weight, and what that means is it's a city where people are talking about f- at a far higher degree than you know, investment experts are saying, pay attention to the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the categories where it actually performs really well is tech. A lot of people are talking about tech in the city. And what's fascinating about that is that the French government has also promoted Lyon as one of their kind of tech capital that's really wanting to get traction in, in the, the tech sphere. And so, again, it comes down to being strategic. You can't stand out if the same message isn't being told across a whole range of actors from national government to local government um, maybe some of the businesses that are operating within your city, you, you kind of need to get that alignment and you get people all working together to not necessarily tell exactly the same story, but be working towards the same script. Right. And in terms of that story, would you agree that, that 
I mean, every city has an advantage and there's no point pretending you're a London when you're not London or pretending to be something you're not. Every every city has something different and and you really got to be true to that. Um, am I right? As cheesy as that sounds. No, I think that's an incredibly important point in that every city which has a concentration of people in it has a value. Mm-hmm. I mean, people have chosen to live there for a reason. There is something quintessentially important about that city. And if these cities are trying to almost take on the brands of other cities or the banners, you know, being a smart city or being, they may well destroy some of the value that they have or undermine it. Um, And so a really important part for cities to elevate themselves is to really do the hard look of what is it that we offer? There will be something. Right. Is there any other last uh, kernel of wisdom you'd like to drop on us before we move on to to Sheffield? Well, I think um, partnerships really matter. And uh, I mean that in the looser sense. So if, if we think about London, it's a really, it's a big place. Um, we do a lot of work with Croydon to try and capture some of that investment at a local level, you know, for a borough that's on maybe more the outside of the city. Um, and so I, I think it's also, you know, some of these smaller cities, it's about thinking how can they leverage what the bigger players are doing? You know, what are the entry points? So we also do a lot of work with the Scottish Cities Alliance. Right. Um, as a media and the idea is well you know there are bigger cities in Scotland and then there are some smaller ones and how can they all work together to make sure that the value that they offer to investors is is aligned you know how can that be shared and and so the partnership aspect of it is you know there there might be some really big brands tier one cities but they're part of driving success in tier two cities too right now, this key theme of collaboration and partnership across across local government, the private sector, Sheffield is a is a fantastic example of of partnership. And uh, Alexis, could you could you please elaborate a little on the partnerships you've seen through in terms of promoting your your city better for investment, and in particular the tier two city network? Thank you. Sure. So the, there are three ways that Sheffield has, has thought about how we promote our city as a tier two location and how we raise our profile globally. It, just to pick up on what Peter was saying a few moments ago, it's absolutely right. It is about partnership. Firstly, at a very strategic level, it's about partnership between the public and private sector. Here in Sheffield, we have something now called the Brands Partnership, which involves senior representatives from local government, along with our anchor institutions, the two universities, the teaching hospitals, and also the private sector. And what that's done has done two things. It's created structure, but it's also provided a forum where we can agree a song sheet. We can agree what is important about our city and how do we want to talk about our city externally. And that means that we've got a consistency and we've got a coherent message that everybody can speak to on a regular basis. More precisely, we've also really invested a lot of effort in building new forms of private sector partnership. I represent one of the examples of that, the Sheffield Property Association, which was formed two years ago. That's an organization comprised of all the primary landowners and developers who have got a big stake in helping local and central government to attract investment into our city. And so really, it's, it, it is about understanding and thinking about your brand and how you best amplify that. But our starting point in Sheffield was getting the structures right and getting political and business leaders sat around the table thinking meaningfully about what role they thought Sheffield could play in the global economy and how we could amplify that internationally. And very briefly, what in, in one or two sentences, what's, what's, what role does that play in the global, global economy in a nutshell, please? Sheffield. Well, we, our, our real added value is in twofold. It's one, 
R&D uh, and really high-end engineering. So for listeners who are familiar with Sheffield, our, our background as an economy was very much around the steel industry and manufacturing in the 50s, 60s and 70s. That's obviously evolved over recent decades, but a lot of the real added value in our economy still sits around how you manipulate and how you, you develop new materials. And that's the backbone upon which we've kind of built our economy over the last 10 years. And it's why companies like Boeing and McLaren are locating here because they can access expertise in our universities, but also some of the smaller suppliers who have got a really world-class understanding of how to manipulate new and modern forms of materials. And I understand Sheffield has begun a, a tier two or T2 city network with Canada's Edmonton, another another tier two city. Could you tell us a little about this this budding partnership and what motivated you to create this, please? That's right. Well, the, uh, this was a story that really sprang to life around three years ago. Uh, at one of the major international trade fairs that Sheffield was attending, we were approached by uh, who were then just some contacts and who are now close friends in Edmonton, Canada. And we started to talk about the fact that although there is thousands of miles between our cities and they come from very different uh, national perspectives, there's a lot of similarities. It's just as Sheffield has had to reinvent itself economically, so has Edmonton, uh, recognizing this new changing shape of the oil and gas industry. And we, we started talking at an informal level about the challenges that that city faced and the challenges and the opportunities that Sheffield encountered. And that's quickly grown into an idea that Let's make note, you know, keeping things very simple is that every city is probably in one way or another facing challenges that are being grappled with in other places around the world. And what we've started to do is draw a bit, a small number at this stage, a small number of cities together, Sheffield and Edmonton, the center of that, looking at how we can work together to address some of the more complex challenges we face, such as how to attract investment, how to attract and retain talent. Because we're firm believers in recognizing that we don't have all the answers and neither do Edmonton. And then actually putting two heads together, two cities together, can actually come up with better answers. And I believe there's the upcoming Tier 2, T2 City Summit. Is that the case? Or is there a fixed deadline um, date for that? There's not a, where we've been for the last three years is very much informal, uh, building relationships with individuals and organizations across the two cities. We've got to a point now where we recognize, and there's a lot of bilateral conversations going on with other cities, that notwithstanding the power of uh, modern technology and our ability to communicate virtually, there's no denying that you cannot really replicate putting people in the same room. So we don't have a specific date, but certainly in 2020, there will be a coming together of the cities that we started to talk with. And that's very much around not just sharing case studies, but actually grappling with some of the big issues that cities are faced with and coming up with shared solutions. We, we see it more as a think tank, a bit on a temporary basis than perhaps a conference or a symposium. But no, the, the invitation is being extended to cities around the world to come to Sheffield in 2020. And Peter, is there anything you'd like to follow up from that? Any, any afterthoughts? I, I think it's just realizing the extent to which this competition is global um, and the extent to which some of the tier two cities in Europe actually perform very well. You know, so you might want to compare some of the smaller cities in the UK and say, you know, compared to London, maybe there there's so much more opportunity for growth. But then if you look at if we take your definition of tier two cities as over 150, 200,000 people, there are at least 50 countries in the world that don't have cities with comparable visibility to Sheffield. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you if you look at the idea of how um, 
you know, in a sense, visibility and brand is distributed, the UK actually does very well, you know, and that it has some of its smaller cities actually competing with cities that are maybe five, 10 million people big. Right. And so that there's something really positive about that and the UK's capacity to leverage that and many of the smaller cities in Europe to really build on that. And and um, Alexis, to what extent are you using um, culture as a way of branding yourself online? I mean, for example, Manchester uses its football. We've used, we've used culture and music to a certain extent. We obviously have uh, quite a bit of pedigree when it comes to the musical industry. Arctic Monkeys are immediately the spring to mind mm-hmm. among others, but I think the one thing that really we have looked to amplify is our outdoors, is that we are one of the only cities uh, in the UK, in fact, the only city in the UK that's got a third of the city in a national park. And we're really understanding now that when we think about quality of life and what talent and what people are looking for, it is about being able to access the outdoors and to be able to enjoy the environment. That's one thing that we're really pushing, and and it's... It's paying dividends. We're we're getting a lot more interest from occupiers and investors who can see that their workforce and businesses that they want to provide a home to are really interested in in having a good quality of life. So, yes, culture plays a role, but for us it's about our outdoor economy and it's about our proximity to the the peak district that we have here in this part of the world. I'd say that quality of life and having a, a positive experience uh, it's so is ever more important for a, a, a generation that you know the next generation and and so on are, are ever more conscious of their health, their well being, and I'd say put career uh, less at a premium premium over over their bodies and their minds and their their, their well being. So I, I think that this will that advantage for Sheffield and others will only become become even more uh, uh, pressing, uh, especially as London grows ever more polluted. And lastly, moving on to a little of my own research, I found that London has and is receiving more greenfield foreign investment than it contributes to the national GDP by quite a significant amount. So a few years ago, London contributed around 30% to the national GDP, but received nearly 43% of the country's greenfield foreign investment intake. The, the reverse was true for almost all cities after London except Edinburgh. What's going on here? Is this just the harsh reality of London's strength, talent and agglomeration effect? Or are foreign investors overlooking some of the depth of talent and opportunity outside of the capital? Alexis, could we perhaps begin with your thoughts on that? There's a combination here. I think there's without doubt the the impact that London is a dominant economic uh, entity in the UK. Uh, The data and the research points to the real agglomeration effects that are happening in that city. I think there's more than underlying issues about the fact that investors obviously make complex decisions, but at the end of the day, they're also individuals who have their attention focused on capital cities, and London is a global city uh, and dominates a lot of people's attention. I think there is, that said, the fact that some of the more deeper opportunities in Tier 2 cities, Sheffield and Precise, have perhaps not necessarily been overlooked, but perhaps they're not being... Promoted or amplified enough, and that's one of the things that we will keep coming back to: is that you will only attract investment if you attract attention, and you'll only attract attention if you really think meaningfully about what it is you have to offer to investors and to occupiers and to businesses. And so, there isn't perhaps a harsh reality that London will dominate and it will continue to dominate for years to come, but that really means that Chef. 
Sheffield and other tier two cities in the UK uh, have to work harder to make themselves be known and for them, for those cities and those city brands to resonate globally. Uh, there's a lot of work already being done. There's a lot of work to be done. Uh, but I'm confident that as the UK economy evolves and those cities become more confident about who they are and what they want to be, that data in years to come will show that more tier two cities in the UK will attract more investment. And do you, do you and this is a rather controversial question, do you think the national government has, has played a role in, in not promoting cities outside of London better um, or maybe not funding cities outside of London better? Feel free not to answer that. Any city, any locality out of regionally will always expect a government to do something more, to do something differently. One of the things that's really important for cities of our size is to have the space and the flexibility to be able to shape policies and be able to attract investment based on our own specific requirements. One challenge to UK government is, yes, they have a national competence, and yes, they need to think about the overarching functioning of the UK economy, but it's not about legislating just for the average city. It's about providing space to cities like Sheffield to be able to shape their own destiny, for want of a better phrase. So in answer to your more precise question, is, is London doing enough? Is, is the national government doing enough to promote cities outside of London? They're doing quite a bit. If you were to look at examples in property and investment, there's been quite a lot of effort put into promoting the Northern Powerhouse and the Midlands Engine at various events and in various ways around the world. But the number one issue is to be able to give cities the space and the flexibility to be able to shape their investment strategies. and it will, will always fail to achieve our true potential if policies are shaped nationally that try and deliver the same for every city because then we're constrained. And I'm sure other cities will say the same. Thank you, Alexis. Any thoughts on, on that, Peter, and the imbalance that I highlighted in my research? Well, I, I think there are a few different ways of responding. Um, and so some of the work that we've done on promoting investment and tourism has um, has been to help the West Midlands position themselves and to try and widen the investment beyond Birmingham, in a sense, to for some of the, the smaller urban areas around to benefit from that investment too. And I, I think it's a it, it's a fairly common challenge in that investors need or desire an easy entry point. And so you, you in a sense, don't want to get rid of London because you want that capital to come to the UK. You know, if it's going to go somewhere in the UK, you want to make sure that actually it lands in the UK as a starting point. And then you can have a question follow-on about how to make sure that that is distributed and what, what is the what is the appropriate way of, of distributing, what's fair. Um, but then fairness is, is in itself a big challenge. So as I mentioned at a global level, there are at least 50 countries in the world that even their capital cities don't get the same investment as, let's say, Sheffield does. And so, again, it depends how wide you, you make that lens of, of what's fair. I mean, I, I think in many ways it's... It's it, again. It comes down to partnership and content. Like I think Alexis is is spot on that if you want to be visible and you want to promote yourself, you need to say something that you need to be able to say something about yourself, and you need a lot of people saying that. Right, and that's why Ing's upcoming research on on digital footprint is is of of great interest to to us and others. So thank you for joining me, Peter and Alexis. This has been the FDI podcast. If you'd like to read, watch, listen to more of our material, you can find us at fdiintelligence.com.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.